This is 4D with Demi Lovato. Today on the show, comedian, writer, host, producer, advocate, and activist, Chelsea Handler. First of all, I fucking adore you because I just think you're hilarious. But two, I think that like, I love watching your journey. I wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself the way you want whoever's listening to this <laughs> to, to know you. I would say that my name is Chelsea Handler and I am an advocate for uh, women and for all marginalized groups. And that is where my focal point of attention has been for the last few years, I think. I think once I got my head out of my ass a little bit, I was able to focus on being a more giving, generous person and contributing a lot more than I was. So I guess I would describe myself like, you know, I, I think of everything in terms of um, in terms of advocacy now, which is something that all, you know, white people should be doing and reframing, um, you know, their ideas about and trying to dismantle all of this, you know, previous stuff that our culture has kind of, we've soaked up from our culture. So, um, but I don't know, you could describe me as topless, you could describe me as loud, obnoxious, annoying, all of those things would qualify. Talk show host, comedian, whatever, author, I don't know. Um, medical doctor, that's how, that's what I play on my podcast, but I'm not really a medical doctor, so... <laughs> We'll see about that, but I am good at giving prescriptions. <laughs> okay, wow. So there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. There is a lot. There's a lot to unpack here. But you're such a multifaceted woman. You've talked about starting therapy, and I wanted to talk to you about why that was important for you. What did that journey look like, and how it's affected you and your life today? Well. You know, you get to a point where, like, I would read this a lot where, like, something works for you until it doesn't, right? Like, if it's an eating disorder, it works for you until it doesn't work for you. Like, and I didn't under, I never understood what that meant. What do you mean it works for you until it doesn't? And then what happened with me is I had all of this energy, right? And I was able to infuse it and work and turn it into TV shows and stand up and I, and, and, and just going and going, right? A mile a minute. And my, I'm sure you can relate to this. Uh, just mm -hmm. saying yes to almost everything, saying no to little, and wanting to take advantage of the situation I was in without really having any foresight or hindsight, right? So when you're mm -hmm. in that, you're kind of spinning around, you're spinning around, you're moving really quick, and you have a lot of success and a lot of attention, and it feels great. But I never reflected about why I was... I had the need to do so much and say yes to everything. And what, what was that, you know? And so my kind of energy that I had worked for me until it didn't. That worked for a long time until I crashed and kind of burned out. I was sick of everything. I became sick of my talk show. I became sick of talking to celebrities. I became sick of uh, talking about myself. I became sick of my own voice. You know, I wanted everything just to be tweeted. I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to, you know, uh, hear, hear myself talk anymore. And that's when it stopped working for me because I was angry. I was angry, you know, about a lot of things. I thought it was a lot about Trump and it was, but underneath that is deeper stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, this pissed at Ivanka and Donald Trump Jr. for being born unless I'm pissed about a lot of other things too. Mm -hmm. So for me, going into therapy and being serious about therapy, because I had gone to therapy before in my adult life, but never really with the intention of getting to anything that ran too deep. 
I was, it was like surface shit, you know? And if anyone wanted to talk about my childhood, I'm like, listen, my brother's dead, my mother's dead. I'm fine with death, nothing to see here. And, you know, every therapist was like, well, that's obviously a big issue. <laughs> Let's get into that. But I was closed off. I was emotionally incapable of being vulnerable. I thought that was weakness. And so when I went to therapy, my most recent time, when I probably went around right before I turned 40, you know, which is the time where you start to really kind of assess shit if you haven't before, I was in a different place and I was ready to get serious about what what was my, what my problem was, why I had such anger issues and had such rage, you know, and I was a little bit lost and, you know, I needed to work on the inside of me, not so much the exterior and what other people were seeing. I needed to kind of get real about therapy. So I was with somebody who was smart enough and I wasn't attracted to him sexually, which is a bonus because, you know, I mean, that's my biggest problem, sleeping with my therapist. I was like, fuck, I cannot sleep with this guy. Luckily, he was married, so I wouldn't. Uh, he just basically made me go through and relive this, you know, what's called delayed grief. My brother died when I was nine years old. He had a terrible hiking accident, fell off a cliff and died. And he made me just kind of go back and not in any hokey way, but he made me sit with that pain in a way that I was never willing to do prior to that. So I think in one sense, you do have to be ready. You have to recognize that there's an issue, you know, with you, like you're having an issue because a lot of people can't. They're in denial of that. And then you kind of get regrounded in the most you know, kind of beautiful way. Like at first I was like, all of, you know, I, I would talk about therapy fucking nonstop. My friends were like, oh my God, shut the fuck up already. <laughs> you who made fun of therapy and meditation and silent retreats for like, you know, 10 years. I mean, I still make fun of silent retreats, but <laughs> I don't, you know, I made fun of therapy and meditation it was like, oh, those people. I thought, you know, everybody who did that eats granola only and doesn't wear underwear or shave their <laughs> armpits. You know, like I thought it was all a bucket. And then I realized, no, that's your judgment, you know, and that's another thing, my judgment over people. I was like, why am I so judgmental unless I have my own issues? So a lot of things opened up in therapy and it was probably the most invaluable experience I've had. Wow, that's incredible. I know a lot of people, it, when they do that inner work on themselves, they start implementing new routines or new rituals. For some, it's meditation, like uh, or silent retreats, you know, was what was it for you that you started implementing daily into your life? Well, meditation was one thing because me to sit the fuck down and sit down and shut up and, and just <laughs> like it, that was impossible. Uh -huh. But what changed, what helped me change my behavior is A, the transaction of telling somebody, of paying someone to tell you what's wrong with you is fucking awesome. And I just took it at face value. As soon as he told me, like, you know, here are your issues. This is what we have to work on. I was like, that makes sense. This makes sense. It all makes sense. And I was willing to do the work. I think in therapy, and you can tell me if this is your experience, like once you have one light bulb moment and it opens up, you're like, ding, 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 ding. And it rings true. Then all of a sudden you're like committed because I'm like, oh, wait, wait, yes. wait, this is a great exercise. This guy's going to tell me every week one more thing that I can work on. And that's what I wanted was a roadmap. You know, I wanted somebody to come in, take a look at my brain and tell me what's going on and how I can be a little bit softer, gentler. Mm -hmm. And I think 
my my also biggest problem was just like cutting off things, you know, breaking up with people, breaking up with friendships if they pissed me off. Mm-hmm. You know, if they did one thing, I'm like gone forever, you know, holding grudges. Yeah. That was another big problem of mine. I'd get pissed at people and just write them off and never think about them again. Like have no, you know, have no regrets or ever think about it. Just be like, fuck that guy, you know? Yeah. So it's, that doesn't really work in life. You don't want to be like that. I don't want to be yeah. like that. That's really interesting. I've been working with my therapist on that issue as well because the thing is when someone hurts me, I I stop existing in their life. And I've had to work on that because that's not the best way to handle fallouts, you know? Sometimes it's it's getting your point across to your to whoever it is your friend that you're having a falling out with and saying, "Hey, you know what? I'm we do need to go our separate ways, but I'm really hurt over this and then you express your feelings and you feel heard and then you're able to not look at that person with resentment for the rest of your life. Yeah. And and I think being able to say that you're hurt instead of that you're angry is a big delineation. Right. So Mm. what, you know, like I, I, I was always very reactive, reactive with anger. You know, if I saw an email from anyone on my team with some information that I didn't like or agree with, it was like two seconds. The email was already sent before I could, you know, finish it. In my Mm. mind, I was working so fast. Like I had such a reactive personality. So I think for me too, it was about actually taking a minute, like thinking, like, is this worth it? Is it worth it? And how do you want to frame this? And how do you want to Mm. say this? So that you're taking other people's feelings into account rather than just thinking about your reaction. You're actually thinking about the whole situation. You're thinking about the person who sent the email and everyone who's CC'd on the email. And so those were all tools that I just didn't have. Well, what was it for you that started therapy? Like, what was the turning point? Trump got elected and I went batshit. I was like, if I have to look at Ivanka and Donald Trump Jr.'s veneers for the next four years of my life, I'm going to fucking kill somebody. I couldn't believe that fat fuck was our president. I could not believe how racist our country was. Like a lot of idiotic white people, you know, we thought racism was, you know, for the most part gone, that it wasn't alive and kicking in the way that it was. Of course, there's racism. But to the degree that there is in this country, you know, I was I was uh, ignorant Mm -hmm. And I just Mm -hmm. lost my shit. Yes, of course. Right. I know how politically active you are. So like also and very commendable, I might add. Um, I know. So I know how much you hate him, too. But I couldn't (laughs) I couldn't I just couldn't get past it. Like I would literally go to work. At this point, I was doing my Netflix talk show and I would go to work, turn on MSNBC or CNN or sometimes Fox if I really wanted to get myself my panties (laughs) in a twist. And then I just sit there like this, like. And I, you know, and I just rail like it was all day. I was like caught up in that 24 hour news Mm -hmm. cycle and uh, I just couldn't get out of it. And I thought, all you know, I had finally I had something to focus my anger on. I had all this kind of repressed anger, but I didn't know what it was about. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was directed at Mm because I didn't know what it was about. So I directed it at the Trump administration and that worked for a little bit. But I was like I was so angry and so outraged that people would see me coming and they would just like, you know, turn the other way. They're like, oh, fuck, here she comes again. Like she is turning into such a nightmare. I would go into airport lounges and literally walk over to the like to the like where they watch the news and find the Fox section and just start going off on people. I'd be like, you fucking racist asshole. You voted for that. I'm like, do you have a I beg, do you have a daughter? Do you have a daughter? Because she's not going to have any rights. I mean, one time I went to the airport, I didn't even have a flight. So 
I was getting a little bit out of control. Yes, for sure. I like being real. And, you know, I try to I try to always try always follow that rule of thumb in general, regardless of how people react to my honesty. But I think your honesty is why people appreciate you so much. And that's I mean, that's why I appreciate you so much. And also, I mean, that's that's why you are going to have an epic podcast. Dear Chelsea. Dear Chelsea, starring Chelsea and Demi. (laughs) Yes, exactly. What what made you start your podcast and what is it going to be about? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, so I've been giving unsolicited advice and opinions for years to everybody, right? (laughs) Whether they fucking wanted to hear it or not. It's like, listen, buddy. So then when I went to therapy and I was very open, I wrote a book about it. My stand-up is about it. My stand-up special is about it. I became very vocal because I finally, you know, I've overshared my entire career. And I thought, finally, I have something to share that's like overshare that's worth sharing. Like my <laughs> therapy experience, most people won't be able to afford to go to a therapist like that, you know, or a psychiatrist like that. And I wanted to spread the info. I wanted to spread mm-hmm. the it, like knowledge. Like, hey, if you're upset yeah. or you're angry or you're impatient and, you know, know, these are all things that are connected to this. And this is what's connected to this. So through all of that, and through like sharing my story, you know, so many people were reaching out to me, we started this like room for people who had lost, who had lost loved ones, like this grief and loss room, it's called the orange room on Facebook. And we had like, all these people join. And there was just this beautiful, like community of sharing all this advice. And I'd go in there and people were just asking me so many questions. And we always make a joke that I, you know, that I'm, I'm, I've always been giving advice, whether people wanted it or not. And so I was like, God, what if we did a format? Because I've been approached to do a couple things that were like advice driven. And I was like, well, that sounds too like daytime TV. I'm not sure that that's my speed. You know, I had a podcast deal with iHeart. I did a first my first one a couple year a year ago or two years ago. And then when I took a break, I was like, let me come back when I have a great idea, you know, because everyone has a podcast, obviously, and I wanted to do a different take on it. And Brandon, my assistant, who's been my assistant for a long time, is like, what about Dear Chelsea? Like, you fucking love advice. Like, I love advice columns. Dear Abby, all of that shit. Like, I remember reading the paper growing up, like, being like, Dear Abby, like, you know, just the dumbest questions about, like, family (laughs) dynamics and stuff. But I just found it so interesting because I love interpersonal affairs. Like, I Uh love the dynamic between people and their families and their loved ones. I come from a big family, so I just, I was like, oh, God, I love to get in into it. And I'm very, very curious about people. Um, Mm -hmm. So we decided to do an advice podcast because Brandon is also really good at giving advice. So we're like couples counseling because we're the couple and other people are being counselors. So people write in, they call in, they zoom in and they have all sorts of questions and advice that they're asking for. And the people have been really, really fucking awesome. And I'm so impressed by my fans. I'm like, these people are all people I would hang out with. You know, sometimes Aww. you meet a fan and you're like, whoa, these are my fans, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you're like, like, I, my experience, people send me like shots in Vegas, you know? And they're just like, I, and they're like, here, you want a shot of Jaeger? I'm like, no, I don't want a shot of fucking Jaeger. I'm in my 40s. I never wanted a shot of Jaeger, even when I was in my 20s. Yeah, I've never, never. wanted a shot of Jaeger. No, I'd rather drink Fireball. Um, so, uh, so I thought, oh, what a great different take on the podcast, right? I could give advice when I'm really unqualified to give it, especially in areas where I have no qualifications, like parenting advice, marital advice. (laughs) And I just thought, oh, that's so funny for me to give really, because I do that in real life with all my friends and all the people. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, we started doing it and I'm like, oh, wow, this is really 
really fun because people are calling in with real. I mean, some of the problems are really stupid, you know. Right. Um, and I like those too. But Wait, what's the stupidest question you've got? Well, this is a good one. One guy called in and told me that he microdosed. Uh, he wanted to know if microdosing cocaine was a thing because he's been microdosing cocaine at work and he's been getting a ton of shit done and his bosses are all really blown away. He said he has like three or four bosses and they all are blown away um, by his productivity. And I was like, first of all, you're a cokehead. There's no microdosing a class A narcotic. Like that right. is not microdosing. There's no coke microdosing. That's called being right. addicted. Oh. Um, so that was really stupid. And we had to set him straight. But like, for instance, somebody called in the other day and they had their sister living with them because of the pandemic. And their sister had Down syndrome, has Down syndrome. And she was like, I've, she's been living with me for nine months. And she's like, I just can't send her back to that home. Like, this is my sister and I want her in my life, but I don't know. Can I handle it? This is a lifelong commitment. I'm single. Will I be able to meet somebody and get married? And so but Brandon and I were like, oh, fuck, what do we do now? Right. So that's a serious, you know, undertaking and a serious responsibility. But it was it was like, oh, wow. Wow, these are real problems. So in instances where we're out of our wheelhouse, we have mm-hmm. like specialists call in, medical cool. professionals call in, or and I have my celeb friends call in and give advice in, in, in areas that they've had experience in um, when necessary or, you know, when 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 applicable. So it's been fun. I mean, it's it's really fun to give advice to people. And a lot of people have already made their decision about what they're going to do, like breaking up with a boyfriend or leaving a job or breaking up with like a family member. Um, but we just give them the final push. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. So, like, for instance, so that, you know, I it, that that is a project about others. Even though it's me, it's really about mm-hmm. other people. And so that's a perfect example of me, like, reprioritizing what, what it is I want to do, you know? I don't just want to be funny and be—I mean, I do want to be funny and I do want to be topless. But there's obviously more—there's <laughs> more dimensions to all of us. What is it about being topless for you? Because I love, I, I love you topless, by the way. Um, the world loves you topless, by the way. But what is it for you? Why is it so important that you free the nipple? It's or both of them. A, I love the cold. So I love to be, I love the cold. I am not, I have an aversion to heat. Like the Palm Springs to me sounds like a nightmare. Um, but snow and cold is good. So I like to be free. Okay. Okay. That is one component of it. I don't um, like the fact that men are allowed to be topless whenever they want. Yes. And we look so much better when we do it. I yeah. don't, and it's illegal. It's basically like you get a fine. If you're topless or, you know, lewd, I think you could be topless in San Francisco and some other some other city. But anyway, but the backstory to why I overdo it with the topless videos and posts is because I had a boyfriend in my 30s that I dated and he told me my boobs were were too big to be elegant is what he told me. And I was like, well, listen, this isn't the first time that somebody's told me I'm not elegant, but (laughs) it he made me self-conscious about my breasts, you know, and when I broke up with him, I was like. You know, I I dated a bunch of guys and then people were just celebrating. They're like, oh, my God, your boobs are incredible. And I was like, they are. And they're like, yes. Oh, my God. And I didn't you know, I got my boobs so early that I was ashamed of them when I was like 13 and 14 because I was like I got them overnight when I was like 12 years old. A guy put his arm around me in the movie theater. And the next day I got my period and I blame that guy. (laughs) I got my period. and I got my boobs. And I was like, oh, fuck. What are these two melons? And I would. 
go to school and I would tape my boobs. I would tape them down with scotch tape because they were so big and also so so quick. Like they just came on the scene. And um and I just was insecure about them my whole life. And so finally once I broke up with that guy, I just had a sense of like and I started, you know, being around other people. They're like, don't let anyone else define anything about you, right? And so it became about that. It became about self-liberation. And then it became about all liberation because it's like we should be, you know, there. it's just all of these societal rules and cultural norms that we've accepted as standard are are pretty irrelevant at this mm-hmm. point. And so I just like to piss people off, you know, and <laughs> I take, a, t- take a joke too far. Yes. Oh, that's incredible. Wait, I saw a video of you. I think it was like you... Either you had a joint or like a drink or something. You were skiing. Margarita. Were- uh, yeah, that was my 46th birthday. I was in Canada. Incredible. And I margarita in one hand and a joint in the other. And I skied down the mountain topless in my bikini bottoms. And in, by the way, it's on my Instagram feed. And by the way, it felt incredible. It I'm felt sure it did. Incredible. I, could, I was like, I'm going in for another run. And they're like, no. We, and they had a robe for me at the bottom. I'm like, no, this feels <laughs> so great. I'm like, let's go do moguls. And then I could bounce around and really make a video. But uh, yeah, there is a very liberating quality to that. And it's nice to be comfortable with my body because for so many years I wasn't, you know, mm. now I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable being nude. I'm comfortable being naked and I'm comfortable like with my flaws and cellulite mm-hmm. and all of the shit that goes along with it, you know? Uh, so, and I think that's good messaging for all women. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. I think I'm going to have to start going topless more often. Well, we can start together, girl. We, we can, can just, we can start together. We can start in the valley and move our way over the hill slowly. <laughs> just we can do it on, ro- we can do <laughs> it on rollerblades. <laughs> Holding hands down Laurel Canyon or up Laurel Canyon. <laughs> yeah, coming down Topic. Laurel Canyon on rollerblades yeah. would be a little bit tricky. <laughs> Jesus. I do want to have a snow trip with you because I love snowboarding. I'm not very good. But if we go like on a snow trip or something and you ski topless, I will snowboard topless. Oh, sure. well, hello. Well, that's the, sure. we'll, we'll do that next year on my birthday, my 47th birthday. Hell yes. I make a topless video every year on my birthday. So that'll be, and you can come stay at my house because I just bought a place up there in Whistler, Canada. So you can come oh stay God. with me. It's all set. Oh my God. Amazing. I'm trying to get a place in the mountains somewhere, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. But is body image something that you struggled with? Yeah, that, for sure. It was. Wow. Okay. I didn't. I didn't actually know that about you. You know, that's our that's our cultural norm. Like, you know, right. we get near, we get, you know, like, yeah, of course I have body issues. I had body issues badly. Like I was bulimic for a period of time in my 20s. I mean, I don't know a lot of people that weren't. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was pretty common. And yeah. unfortunately, and I had, you know, went on, you know, I was exercised like a lunatic after I would eat, you know, mm-hmm. I'd go for jogging for like two hours every morning. I was, you know, I had some form of eating disorder for my entire 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually you snap out of it, you know, mm-hmm. or you get help or you yeah. I just snapped out of it. I was like, I'm ruining my body. I have a healthy body here and I'm forcing myself to throw up. How disgusting is that? Like, right. I've got to stop it. And I think I did just stop it one day, just like uh, or maybe I got hypnotized. I don't remember how I stopped that. I think I just woke up and I was like, this is gross. Mm-hmm. And but, you know, like smoking, I remember, you know, quitting that and the feeling of 
like the feeling of being able to change the bad patterns in your life, the feeling of being able to say no to something after you've relied on it for so long is one of the most powerful tools you can ever have because then from there on in, you know that you're capable of saying no to anything. Oof. I have chills right now because I just remember the last time that I threw up. And it was it was a choice that I had made to myself and I remember thinking like, I'm not, I'm just not doing this anymore because I didn't get sober to live my life in a toilet. I didn't, I didn't get sober to, to spend my, my days in a porcelain bowl. You know what I'm saying? That, that people sit their asses on. I didn't, I, I yeah. just didn't want to do that anymore. And so, you know, it took me some time and I had to get some treatment for it, but, um, but I think when that moment happens, it really is super liberating because you realize something that I've used as a crutch for so many years. I am now free without and I'm okay, which yeah. is so powerful. Yeah, it is really powerful hearing you say that as well, because like, think about you are living in a toilet bowl, you know, like think about mm -hmm. how you're like, it's the grossest place that in society is the toilet bowl. Like it's the yeah. most unkempt and that's where you're putting your face. And <laughs> it's like, it's, is that what we think of ourselves? Right. That's obviously what we're equating er, like our value to. And I think once you like, I, I, we, I know that we all have this reservoir of strength within us, right? It's just yeah. when you are ready to tap into it. Mm -hmm. I remember listening to like one of Oprah's podcasts and she had a girl who had an eating disorder call in and she was talking about, um, French fries, eating French fries. And she's like, I can't stop binging and purging. I can't stop binging and purging. And she goes, well, that she's the one who said it. That will, that will work for you until it doesn't. And I remember going, well, when does it stop working for her? And it's like and the day that it stops working for her, the yeah. day that she looks and says, I, why is my face in a toilet? Yeah. So I think we have this reservoir of strength, which, you know, you're tapping into. I've tapped into. I hope mm -hmm. to tap into again and again and again, because once you get in there, you mm -hmm. know, it's there. And mm -hmm. that's where you go instead of to the toilet or to, you know, do a line of whatever drug you're addicted to or, mm -hmm. you know, those things. Um I think we underestimate our own strength a lot, and then women especially do. So it's important to remind each other all the time of how strong we are. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. How do you think that adding empathy into your life changed your work in comedy? Well... I think that, you know, there's more of an understanding that I have a, well, in my work, I have more of an understanding about how I'm, what I'm doing and like the influence that you have, right? You want to make sure that you're using that judiciously and, and, um, and that you're thinking of what you're putting out there instead of just cashing checks, right? Like mm -hmm. one is prone to do in this town. 
it's about like, oh, what is this work that what am I saying here? And what groups am I sticking up for while I'm doing this? You know, if I'm making a documentary, it's like, what am I saying here? And what groups am I highlighting that people aren't going to know about? And it, instead of it being a vanity project, my life has turned into, OK, I can do all of the things that I love to do, but I have a different objective now. It's not just about exploring things I want to know about. It's about considering all the people that are going to be affected by this and who's going to be seen. Right. Who are you going to? I like to see people. I like to make sure people know that when they're with me, I can see you and I can hear you and I'm interested in your story. Um, and so it's gentler, you know, and it's more mm -hmm. conscientious. And I don't just say, OK, I'll go do this because I, this is a big paycheck. Like I try and be very, very conscious and conscientious about what I'm putting out there now. And I think I've done a much better job since I've been to therapy, you know, about the kind of level of work, because it is um, it feels good to make a contribution instead of just taking. Right, right. I feel like there's always a point in. So, well, hopefully there there is a point in celebrities careers where you stop you know, it's fun to get on stage and perform. It's fun to do the the lights camera action thing for a minute. But then there there is this point where I feel like I've I definitely know experienced it myself where I thought, wow, there's so much more to life than just my story. You know what I'm saying? And it's like it's not I had to go through this where it was like where I did this all this advocacy work, but at the end of the day, I was just telling my story over and over and over again. And Finally, there was this point where I was just like, you know what? It's not about me anymore. And it's about – I think that moment really happened for me during quarantine last year when everything – the dust kind of settled on the entire world. And you were able to look at what's going on in our country, you know, what's going on right here in our communities. And it was important for me to like – to take that initiative to start speaking up for other people because I feel like it. it if you don't – our careers are just like really self-centered. You know what I'm saying? Imagine yeah. like we we literally get on stages and we tell people, hey, look at us. Like, mm -hmm. With one microphone. With, with one, one microphone. microphone. So nobody right. else can talk. You're like, hey, right. hey, hey, look at me. <laughs> Will you somebody right. look at me, please? Right. Right. And then you start and then you start realizing that like it's I don't know, maybe it's just because I've told my story so many times that I'm just like, it's not about my story anymore. I just started wanting to help other people. And it sounds to me like that happened for you too, which is- Yeah, and but yeah. I would say that sometimes your story does help, you know? I mean, not yes. sometimes, most times. Yeah. You know, your story and your witness, like, you know, a lot of people don't admit the stuff that happens to them or they don't want to talk about the bad stuff. That's and true. you're humanizing, you know, everyone when you tell the truth about your experience. So, you know, your story, I understand what you're saying, but I mean- you know, there's a reason why you're in the position you're in. There's a reason why you have influence. And that is because of your story, too. So okay. I think there are two sides to that coin, you know. But I, I know what you mean about telling the same story over mm -hmm. and over again. Because mm -hmm. that's what that's why I named my special Evolution, because there's such an evolution. You know, I'm 46 mm -hmm. now. When I was 26... I, you know, I wouldn't have even thought I would be talking about any of this shit. I wouldn't even, I was waitressing when I was 26, I think, waiting tables, hoping to get fired, you know, hoping to get hired on some sitcom that was all of a sudden just going to discover me when they walked into a restaurant I was being a bitch at. Um, <laughs> be like, oh my God, look at that sparky personality. We should hire her. She's funny. 
Right. Um, so, yeah. So I think it is about, yeah, I think it's about when you have something to share, it's nice to hear celebrities share it. I know people have yeah. a problem with oversharing, but we're way past that point with this yeah. in this world, right? With social yeah. media, it's a hot mess. So, <laughs> Yo, I mean, you're so right. That's it's so like, true. We can't pull, up, pull back the curtain now. I mean. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so true. I think I think it's it goes back to what you're saying. It's just like the pendulum. It has to like settle right in the middle. You know, for 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 us, it's a little bit of both. It's like my story helped people, your story helped people, and now we get to go help people by telling their stories as well. Telling so their stories. And then, yeah. you know, as you get older, because you're 28, right? Mm-hmm. As you get older, you're going to have different stories to tell also. That's true. That's so true. Yeah. So, yeah, so the future is bright. And um, and then, you know, and sharing is caring. Sharing. (laughs) Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I wanted to talk a little bit about what 4D means to me and the reason why I named my podcast um, 4D. Well, one, it's for me, D. Um, but two, I just like, I I feel like we are so multifaceted. We are multidimensional and multidimensionality is our reality. We are just living in our most authentic self. And I want to also have conversations that are going to help lift humanity into the next dimension. (laughs) Good for you. No, I love it. What does living in 4D mean to you? Living in 4D to me would mean um, being present in every moment, Mm. being mindful in every moment and having a presence of awareness, right, in every single moment, which is you, you hear about and I'm able to do a lot. But not all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. there's so many times where you're talking to somebody and you're distracted with something else. And I remember reading in some book, like the more present you are in one moment leads to the next successful moment leads to the next successful moment. Mm -hmm. So always just being in the moment with what you're doing. I know it's it's a very difficult task because we live in the world. Right. And we have to do Mm -hmm. all the a million things. And but it's a it's a beautiful notion and it works. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing you don't you're not looking like there's never a lull in a conversation when you're present. There's never like searching for something to say or trying to say the right thing when you're present. It's just there's a natural energetic flow. And that is what is priceless. And that is what is not measurable. Right. Like you can't measure energy just yet. Or I'm sure there's a way you can, but not enough mainstream people know about the fact that energy is so 
important. Like the fact that if I'm in a bad mood and I'm pretending to be in a good mood, it doesn't matter. Like my energy is going to show that I'm in a bad mood, just like your energy and your facial expression is going to show what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's not purposeful to try to pretend you're feeling anything other than you are and to try to be in every moment. And so that's a good goal, I think, for, for D living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a proof. Also, it's just like, it, you're right. Being present sets up those next successful moments because you're able to focus on everything in that moment. You're mindful of your surroundings. You're mindful of the energy. You're mindful. Um, yeah, I just, I love that. I love that. That's perfect. You know, especially for me, like I'm an interrupter. I'm a, like if there's a lull, I want to, you know, I, and if I'm on stage, like I'm a comedian. So if there's too much quiet, I don't like that. So for me, it's a huge exercise to be quiet and to listen and to not insert or interject all the time and to let things have room to breathe and have space instead of trying to like, you know, those people you you're when you're I can notice it in everybody now when somebody you're talking to somebody and they're just waiting to say what they're going to say. They're waiting yeah. to contribute. You know, they're waiting to tell their yeah. story instead of really taking in the story that they're hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, you spoke some straight gems, which I don't even know if that's like a thing. Some words of wisdom. You you took us to church, and I just I want to say thank you so much for coming on here. You like I I'm obsessed with you. I think you're hilarious. You're fun to hang out with. I'm down to work out, meditate, snowboard, whatever. Um, oh, I love blade. it. We have so much. In, we have so much in common already. We do. We do. I love it. <laughs> Um, thank you. Thank you. Oh, and well, I love, I love you. being here and I adore you. This has been a presentation of OBB Sound, SB Projects, and Cadence 13. 4G with Demi Lovato is hosted and executive produced by me, Demi Lovato. Executive produced by Michael D. Ratner, Scott Ratner, Elias Tanner, Scooter Braun, Scott Manson, James Shen, Jen McDaniels, Scott Marcus. Chris Corcoran, produced by Grace Delia, associate produced by Caitlin Plummer, Chloe Borenstein-Lowey, edited by S.R. Meredith, Danielle Billiou, Ryan Dayhoff, mixed and mastered by Chris Basil, production support from Arlen Konopaki, Kia Rigabi, Paige Himson, Sean Cherry, Serena Reagan. Cadence 13 is an Odyssey company. This has been a presentation of OBB Sound, SB Projects, and Cadence 13. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes available now on Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.